You must abide in Christ to bear any fruit. I've started my last three sermons that same way. Life is all about being connected to Jesus Christ. We've been focusing on abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit, but I wonder if in that you are grasping the big picture, if you see the big picture of it all, and I want you to test yourself with this. Why is abiding in Christ and bearing fruit so important? Think about that. What difference does abiding in Christ and bearing fruit make in your life? What difference? Who cares? You have a lot going on. Your lives are busy. Okay? Who cares about abiding in Christ and bearing fruit? And the answer is Jesus cares. And if you're ready to listen to Jesus, he'll tell you why it is so absolutely important. There is a glorious theme behind every word of Jesus. What is it? Well, maybe this illustration will help. Now, I'm no wine connoisseur, but years ago, I enjoyed a glass of Kendall Jackson Merlot, and I still remember the name, Kendall Jackson And the company, it really has a unique story. In 1974, Jess Jackson, an attorney from San Francisco, he bought an 80-acre pear and walnut orchard um, near uh, Lakeport. I think it was in the town of Lakeport, California, which is uh, near the coast. And in a few years, the Jackson family took that orchard and converted it into a winery. But one fateful day in 1980, something big happened. A large order of their grapes was, was canceled, and the Jacksons were basically stuck with this massive amount of, of grapes, this huge harvest. And from those grapes, from that canceled order, came the 1982 Vintners Reserve Chardonnay, uh, which put Kendall Jackson on the map. The 1982 Vintners Reserve went on to become the most popular Chardonnay in America. Kendall Jackson now has 15,000 acres of California coastal vineyards, acclaimed award-winning wines, and a great name. When a Kendall Jackson wine is being enjoyed, what receives acclaim? Every bottle of delicious wine at the party has an elegant label on it, presenting something, presenting a name, a brand. That's purposeful. When a Kendall Jackson wine is enjoyed, it's the Kendall Jackson name that is celebrated and ultimately receives acclaim. The vines, branches, and grapes all serve to promote the brand, to promote the name, Now, I enjoyed the Merlot, and I haven't forgotten the name. On the Kendall Jackson website, they talk about the legacy of Jess Jackson. This is what it says. With each bottle of Kendall Jackson, we strive to honor his legacy, which inspires us each day as we work together to create some of the finest handcrafted wines in the world. Their grape farming is intended to give glory, acclaim, honor to the legacy of Jess Jackson, the original vine dresser. Isn't the ultimate purpose of the vineyard to celebrate and acclaim the vine dresser? The glory of God is the purpose of abiding in Christ. 
and bearing much fruit. It's the fruitfulness of Christ through us that brings glory to God. The sweetness of the fruit drives people to admire the vine dresser. Isn't that what John 15 is all about? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? You will care a whole lot about bearing much fruit when you are completely astounded by God. When God's glory grips you, fruit will grow on you. So many people are spiritually lazy, apathetic, and ineffective simply because they can't see the glory of God. God is not glorious to them. People sit in pews Sunday after Sunday and contribute nothing to God's great mission because they've never seen the glory of God and they haven't a clue as to what abiding in Christ and bearing fruit are for. The people bearing the most fruit, just look around, have seen and savored the glory of God. They've experienced the bigness of God, and so their entire life is just wrapped around that one vision, that one purpose to glorify God at all costs. They live for his fame, they live for his name, and their lives are filled with joy. My friends, if we are going to be a fruit-producing, a fruit-bearing people in the fullest sense, we must be mesmerized by God. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of God. He is what we've been studying for over two years or close to two years, and I hope that you can see in these texts that it's all about the glory of Jesus. John 15, 8 is the point. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when his people bear fruit for him. Bearing fruit will be so urgent in your life. It will be the, the, the aim of your entire life and it will be joyful only when God is most glorious to you. But there's something else that runs parallel to God's receiving the glory. Jesus wants all of his disciples to experience their greatest joy in the glory of God. He, he wants our greatest joy to be in experiencing his glory. The story of scripture begins and ends with the glory of God. The universe is, and, and all that the universe contains is not for our glory. God is the alpha and omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And everything is made for him, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. That includes you. And God's glory is the key to your greatest joy. God is supremely beautiful and enrapturing. He's supremely beautiful and enrapturing. Nothing surpasses God's magnificence. To see and savor Him is to find superlative joy. Psalm 89 verses 6 and 7 says... 
For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him? Jesus came and Jesus spoke so that we could see and savor and experience the glory of God. Now glance at verse 11. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus didn't come to kill your joy. Jesus didn't come to rob you of something. Jesus is joy and he came to reveal God so we could share in his utmost joy that he has in God. Everything Jesus said, even the most terrifying things, like the last time I preached in John 15, verse 6, even that served to give unmatched joy to his disciples. Now, as we close out verses 1 through 11, keep two things in mind. Number one, Jesus is pointing you to the glory of God. Jesus is pointing you to the glory of God. And number two, Jesus is telling you how to be most happy in God. He's pointing you to the glory of God, and in that, he's, he's teaching you, he's training you, he's telling you how to experience your greatest joy in God. That's all introductory. Here's the first point. God will be glorified, and you will have more joy when you ask God to do something for you, and he does it. You ask God to do something, and he does it. Jesus promised something awesome to his 11 disciples. The promise is for us, too. It's not just for them, it's for us. Jesus promised this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. It's so incredible, I don't even know what to do with that. I mean, that text scares me. Uh, So we need to be careful here about this. There are conditions to this. And this, pro- this promise is not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Here are the two conditions. Number one, if you abide in me. It's condition number one. If you abide in me, God will do what you ask only when you abide in Christ. If you don't abide in Christ, does, God doesn't promise to do anything good for you. God's good promises are only for those who abide in Christ ask you a question here. Do you really want to experience God's power and God's love through answered prayer? Do you want that? Then abide in Christ because there's no other way for you to experience it than if you're abiding in Christ. Number two, if my words abide in you. That's that's the second condition. If my words abide in you, God will do what you ask only when Christ's words, his teaching, his truth abides in you. If the words of Jesus don't live in you, if they don't remain in you, if they don't abide in you, God doesn't promise to do anything good for you. God's good promises are only for those who have Christ's words abiding in them. And you know, Jesus said a lot of things. Are those things in you? Does the truth of Christ, which he's communicated in his word, does the truth of Christ live in you, life comes from the words of Jesus Christ. Life. 
Don't expect God to answer your prayers if Christ's words are not living in you. You can't just know about his words. His words must live in you and enable your life. And this is way more than a short devotional or five-minute quiet time every morning. Jesus is way beyond that. And we need to get way beyond that. Many Christians would do well if they picked up their Bible and consumed it instead of that short little devotional book. Let me back this point up. In Deuteronomy, God commanded Moses to teach Israel his law and to call them to obey it. And God promised that if they obeyed that law that they were commanded, that they would be blessed. So Moses said, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. God's holy word stamped on their hearts. Listen to Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Is your heart a warehouse for the words of Christ? Are you stockpiling the teachings of Jesus inside of your heart so that you won't sin against God, do you, do you, are you concerned about your own holiness, your own uh, sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus? Then you've got to store it up in your heart so that you might not sin against him. People who love God stockpile the word of God in their heart. They love him, so they love his word. The prophet Jeremiah said he ate God's word. Love that imagery. And after he ate them, he said God's words became to him a joy and the delight of his heart. Do you eat God's words? Do you just devour them? Do they delight your heart? Jesus said God sent him to utter the words of God. Think about that. Jesus spoke the words of God. It came with authority. It came with power. And when they heard Jesus speak, no other authority like this guy, not even the scribes can talk like this guy. That's because he uttered the words of God. Be a warehouse for the words of Jesus. Then you can expect God to do what you ask. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17, 8. For I have given them, and he was talking to, about his disciples, the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. You get all that, that action there? They received his words, they came to know that his words were true, and they believed his words. Receive and believe, receive and believe. If you don't receive and believe, don't expect God to do anything good for you. That's what it means to abide in the word of Christ, to have his words abide in you. Receive and believe. It's really serious when people don't come to church, when they don't go to church. That's really serious because they are not joyfully receiving and believing God's word. It's really serious when people don't pick up their Bibles and study them because they are not receiving and believing God's words. One of the reasons God's power is not unleashed in people's lives is because they are not people of His Word. Do you think that's true? Maybe God is not answering your prayers Because there's a lot going on, and maybe you're neglecting his word. 
And so why would he hear you? An answer. His word simply isn't in people. And so those people, they might very well be asking for things, but they're, they're, they're off. So these things, receiving and believing the words of God is very serious because it's linked to God answering prayer. Listen to Paul in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he says. In other words, let the words of Jesus live in you. And not just a little bit. Paul said richly. That means in large amount. Richly, lavishly. Do you want God to do what you ask him to do? Do you want God to act on your behalf? Then abide in Christ and stockpile his word in your heart. And then he will. He will. But there's more to it. Let's, let's say that these two conditions, abiding in Christ and having his word abide in you, let's say those are met. Does God really do whatever we ask? Really? Yes, but God's not Santa Claus. He's way better than Santa Claus. To wish in verse 7 is to will or to desire. When you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, what do you will and desire? Don't you desire what God desires? Don't you will what God wills? Like you just want his will to be done. If Christ is in you and his word is in you and you are in Christ, then you desire what God desires and your will will conform to God's will. Listen to Psalm 37 verse 4. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that God will give you whatever your sinful flesh wants. That's not what that means. It means that God will give you new desires. By being so close to him, he actually replaces your carnal desires with his sanctified and holy desires, and now you want what God wants. When you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, you want what God wants. When you abide in Christ, Christ's desires become your greatest desires. It's just what you want. And then you start asking God to do his will instead of your will. Think about verse 7 in light of John 14, verse 13, where Jesus said this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we need to pray in the name of Jesus, and we need to pray things that will ultimately bring glory to God. All right, if you're not praying in the name of Jesus for the fame of Jesus, you have no claim on this promise of Jesus. Check out John 15, verse 16, and chapter 16, verse 23 on this very thing. The name and fame of Jesus are all important in prayer. In Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus said this, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. He said in Mark 11, verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, think about this. Why would God give you what you ask him if you don't believe he can do anything for you? I don't believe God can show up, but I might as well ask him. We have to ask trusting that what we ask for according to his will is given to us, that he wants us to have that. We have to believe faith is critical in prayer. What about 1 John 3, 22? 
John said we receive what we ask for because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So don't expect God to do what you ask him to do if you don't live to obey and please God. Now, if my kids in the middle of dinner jump up on the table and do their rendition of river dance, you know what I'm saying? I guarantee they're not getting ice cream for dessert. You sit back in your seat. Why would God give you what you ask if you're living in sin? 1 John 5.14 adds that God hears us if we ask according to his will. Not our will, his will. Jesus taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? I don't think Jesus said... That their will and all that they want will be done and, and you'll give it to... No, God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's about God's will. Do you want God's will most? Does God's will just permeate everything in your prayer life? i got a long way to go, folks. I think you might too, if you're like me. Now, if you do want God's will most, then he will act for you. He'll do it. He'll show up. He promises to. Maybe God isn't doing what we ask him to do because we're asking according to our will, not his. Consider James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We need to ask God rightly. Read Matthew 7. Read Luke 11. You got to get this. God wants to give great things to his children. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. If you abide in Christ, God is not against you. If you're not abiding in Christ, he's against you. If you are abiding in Christ, he's for you. He's your father. He loves you. He's he's poured out his love through Christ on you. He wants to give you good gifts. You have to believe that. Because I think even as Christians, sometimes we get caught up. I just don't know if he really loves me. Because this really stings. Or this thing over here, that I could have really done without that God. And you think that somehow God is smacking you around. And those things happen because he loves you. And he's showing him your, himself. And he's giving you what you need to get through and to endure. He wants to give you good things. He loves you. And we need to ask him for what he thinks best. That, that is a bold prayer. It's a scary prayer to me in some senses, but I gotta work through that to say, God, just give me what glorifies you. Just give me what you think is best because I only see so little of my life and you see everything and so just give me what you think is best. That takes courage. That takes faith. That takes boldness to trust and love God that much. Also, don't miss in verse seven, that it says, it will be done for you. Who does it? It's, it's not about you doing it. It's not you. God is sovereign. God is in control. And he has absolute power to do what we ask. He does it for us. Why ask God if he can't do anything? If he can't respond? We ask because we believe prayer is driven on the sovereignty of God. You take the sovereignty of God out, don't even pray because he can't act for you anyway. But he can, because he is sovereign. So when you ask, he has the power to do something. 
And that just makes trust in him just so much more awesome because he's in sovereign and in control. Listen to what Leon Morris said. When the believer abides in Christ and Christ's words abide in him, then he lives as close to Christ as well may be. Then his prayers will be prayers that are in accord with God's will and they will be fully answered. Isn't that what Jesus means? John Piper, he said, if you want God to respond to your interests, you must be devoted to his interests. That's right. Charles Spurgeon nailed it, the prince of preachers. He said, here is the secret of prevailing prayer. It is not every man who chooses to pray who shall have whatever he asks of God, but the successful pleader is the man who abides in Christ and in whom Christ's words abide. God will not hear our words if we disregard his words. We cannot expect our prayers to be prevalent if we are severed from our Lord. Draw close to him and he will draw near to you. God is close. He hears you. Plead with him. Put it out there and pray with zeal. Your will be done. Your will be done. I just want what you want for me. Oh, God will go to work for you. God will show you amazing things. Answered prayer not only glorifies God, but it increases our joy in God. Next point, God is glorified and you will have your greatest joy when you bear much fruit and prove to be a genuine Christian and you bear fruit, your fruit proves that you're a genuine Christian. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's clear, bearing fruit glorifies God. The word for glorified is doxazo, or ascribing to God glory. To glorify is to praise, to honor and magnify God. Much fruit magnifies God. Much fruit says God is awesome. Think of it like this way. The peak of Mount Everest is just over 29,000 feet above sea level. That's just shy of five and a half miles. That's spectacular. And if you gaze at Everest from 50 miles away, it will be stunning. It will be breathtaking, but it will appear much smaller, much less imposing than what it actually is. But... The closer that you get to Mount Everest, the more magnificent it becomes. The more its sheer immensity emerges and takes your breath away. Drive away from it? Well, its glory remains the same, doesn't it? But that picture of Everest just keeps shrinking and keeps shrinking. It's there with all of its magnificence. But the farther you drive away, it's just shrinking. Can't see it. Don't drive away from it. You won't see it. It'll just appear smaller and smaller the farther you get away. Bearing much fruit serves to take people closer to the mountain of God's glory. It serves to display more of the reality of God. That's the purpose of bearing much fruit. What did Jesus say? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Live your life to take people closer to the mountain of God's glory. Let your good works get them there. The language of the last part of verse 8 is tricky, not going to go into it, but we're on solid ground to say bearing much fruit also confirms that you're actually a Christian. 
And that glorifies God. Jesus said this to his 11, who eventually produced a ton of fruit. In fact, their legacy is still producing fruit. Does your fruit prove that you're the real thing? That you're a legit Christian? That you know God? Does your fruit prove that? Let's move on. God is glorified and you will have your greatest joy when you abide in the divine and perfect love of Christ. Oh, you need to hear this, my friends. People want love so badly, but our societal and cultural perception of love is so diminished and warped. When people crave love, they often settle for a lie that masquerades as love. Here's a little rhyme. To grasp love at its deepest degree, we need to begin with the Trinity. To grasp love at its deepest degree, we need to begin with the Trinity. Father and Son and Spirit exist in this glorious, loving relationship outside of time. It is the the perfection, the fullness of love. So to know love, we have to know God. Hear Jesus out. Verse verse 9, rather. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. It it doesn't get better than that. there's, There's no better news than that. Jesus assured his disciples that he loved them with a divine and with a perfect love. What love surpasses the love that the Father has for the Son? Who loves more than that? No one. God's love is the greatest love. Jesus loved his disciples with infinite love. He he couldn't love them more than he did. It was the perfection and fullness of love. Charles Spurgeon said it was a love without beginning, without measure, without variation, without end. No boyfriend or girlfriend can love you as much as Jesus does. No husband or wife can love you more than Jesus. No mom or dad can love you more than Jesus. No one can love you more than Jesus. Jesus said, abide in my love. You got to know when he's saying that, he's wanting his disciples to live inside and enjoy his love. To be lavished by it. When you abide in Christ and he abides in you, then hear this. You are entitled to to enjoy the love that God has for you. It's yours. You're entitled to it because Jesus paid for it in full. It's yours. You don't try to earn it. Don't, don't, don't keep working to try to earn the affection. And some of you had dads that you had to work to earn their love, to earn their approval. You just had to do something greater. God's not like that. God loves you. Not because you're so great, because you're terrible. You're terrible. And he loves you anyway. That's what kind of extravagant love God lays out there for his people. Enjoy that. Delight in that. Own that. Take it in your life. Don't be believing the lies. God doesn't love me because I got to clean up my life first and I got to do A, B, and C in order for him. Don't go there. That's not a good place to be. He loves you. Remember what the scripture said? That he loved us first. We didn't just go love him and then he loves us in return. No, 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 no. He loved us first. Now, how do we abide in his love? God is glorified and you will have your greatest joy when you you obey the commandments of Jesus like Jesus obeyed the commandments of his father. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. 
And I don't think he meant, you got to be good. you got to earn my love. We don't merit his love and acceptance. He loves us because he chooses to and wants to. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Jesus did tell us how to live in his love, how to endure and remain in his love. When you keep his commandments, you remain in his love. Jesus told them earlier that evening, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what you do when you love Jesus. You live to obey him and please him. Obedience confirms that you are living in the love of of Christ. People want to talk a whole lot about the love of God, but not their uninhibited obedience to Jesus. You abide when you obey. You abide when you obey. Several years ago, Parade Magazine interviewed Miley Cyrus. Sure, that was fun. In the interview, Miley said this, quote, My faith is very important to me. Let me make it clear, though, I am a Christian. Jesus is who saved me. He's what keeps me full and whole. In the same interview, Miley defended her sexually indecent and scandalous pole dance performance and said this. Same interview. My job first is to entertain and do what I love. And if you don't like it, then change the channel. We all need to be careful, my friends. Our first job is to abide in Christ and do what he loves. Which is also what we love if we are actually abiding in him. In verse 10 We get a clear shot as to why Jesus taught what he did, and he taught some tough things. Here it is. God is glorified, and you will have your greatest joy when you realize that Jesus spoke to lead his disciples into their greatest joy. No one is happier than Jesus. He has full and incessant joy. The best news is he shares his joy. That's why Jesus said hard things, beautiful things, magnificent things, joy. Joy. He spoke words powerful enough to give matchless joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Well, Jesus said a lot in the upper room and he said a lot during his teaching and preaching ministry. Every word of Jesus leads to joy. The greatest joy. You'll never be as happy as you could be unless you follow Christ's words to your greatest joy. And the question is, do you know his words? Do you know what he taught? Can you defend what he taught? Can you articulate what he taught? Listen to what I'm saying. You'll never be as happy as you can be until the words of Jesus abide in you. You will live your life always knowing if, the, if, if Christ's words are not in me, I always could be happier. There, there's, there's other people out there that are having more fun than I'm having because the word of Christ is, is dwelling in them. You'll always be settling for a secondhand joy if you pursue something other than Christ. Jesus spoke for a reason, joy, to give his joy as a gift so his disciples would have complete joy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? John 15 is relevant for you, my friends. If you want to be successful in business, then you learn from successful business people. If you want to be godly parents, then you learn from those who are godly parents. If you want to have a great marriage, then you learn from those who have great marriages. If you want to be happy, 
Learn from the happiest man alive, Jesus. You won't find a happier man. His joy was indestructible. Didn't his joy survive the most intense suffering? And if you listen to what Jesus says and his words abide in you, he will give you joy. He'll give you joy. Abide in him and you'll have his joy. Peter called it inexpressible joy, which is filled with glory. We're wrapping up here, but John Calvin, he was an amazing man. He, he described the joy of Christ not as a fleeting or temporary joy, but a joy which never fails or passes away. Calvin said that it wasn't that believers will be entirely free from all sadness, but that the ground for joy will be far greater so that no dread, no anxiety, no grief will swallow them up. For those to whom it has been given to glory in Christ will not be prevented either by life or by death or by any distresses from bidding defiance to sadness. My friends, defy sadness. Abide in Christ and you will get the joy you crave. About six years ago, Christina and I went to the Grand Canyon. And uh, it, it was an amazing trip. The Grand Canyon was one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, when we look at a picture, we might say, wow, that is just really big. And, and it is. But, you know, pictures, they just flat out don't cut it. They, they can't represent the immensity of the canyon. You have to be there. If you look uh, to the far right there, that's Christina, that little black dot thing down there by that little open way. It's just massive, but you have to be there. When I was overlooking the canyon, I remember thinking to myself, I can't even wrap my mind around how big this really is. When you experience something that is so much bigger than you are, you feel really, really small. And rightfully so, because you are really, really small by comparison. But in your smallness, there is joy. You like feeling small. Because experiencing enormous beauty is thrilling to your soul. You don't sit overlooking the Grand Canyon to spend hours looking at selfies on your cell phone. That would be ridiculous. You want to feel small and completely blown away and overtaken by the beauty of something that makes you feel small. Because you are small and there is something infinitely bigger than you that can thrill you forever. We need to get there. Our greatest joy will come when we give our lives to something bigger than ourselves. We need to get to God and be so blown away by his enormity and our smallness that we live for nothing else than to draw attention to his enormity. God is so glorious, so massive, so beautiful that the closer we get to him, the more blown away we are by him, the happier we are with him, and the more we work and we toil and we give our lives to see him magnified. That's fruit. That's what God wants. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for this church. Abiding in Christ is about God's glory and your greatest joy in his glory. And if you get that, you'll bear much fruit. If you don't, you'll waste your life. You must abide in Christ to bear any fruit. And when you do, God gets glory. You get your greatest joy in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for uh, giving us this wonderful portrayal of God's glory in your scripture through your son Jesus. And I pray that Jerusalem church will be awestruck at the bigness and the glory of God and that we'll bear fruit because we want to see his name become great.
It's a simple prayer, God, and I know you hear. And I think you'll answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to ask